Welcome to We All Serve, the podcast featuring leadership lessons from and conversations with those veterans that have served in the United States Armed Forces. Meet your hosts, Robert Lewis, a proud enlisted veteran that served active duty in the United States Marine Corps. Hoorah! And Shalom Klein, who is privileged to be an officer in the United States Army Reserve. Hoorah! They both agree, we all serve. There we go. There we go. I love watching your facial reactions, Robert. Hey, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be on with you, brother. How are you? I'm great, brother. It's uh, it's great to be back. It's uh, you know, it's another uh, it's another beautiful weekend. Uh, we're both here in Chicago, and you know, it's 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 just good to see you. It's good to see you, my friend. It's good to be seen, and good to see you as well. Um, a lot of a lot a lot is happening. Uh, around us. Uh, there's a lot of news that uh, as we tape this, we are uh, right at the 19th uh, anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. Um, just uh, to refresh everyone on that, uh, there were 2,977 that lost their lives uh, on 9-11 uh, at the World Trade Center in New York, uh, the Pentagon in DC, uh, where our guest is from today in uh, Somerset County, Pennsylvania. So uh, our thoughts and, uh, and prayers are with all of the survivors and family members from 9-11. Um, and, you know, one of, one of the great things about our podcast, Shalom, is uh, we get a chance to talk to some folks who wore the uniform, but now they may not wear the uniform anymore, but they have still found a way to serve in the communities in which they live uh, and work on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, a fascinating story, man, that I was following uh, just here on September 12th, a New Orleans native, uh, Lawrence Brooks. He turned 111 years old, and he is the oldest known U.S. veteran, World War II uh, veteran, as a matter of fact. And uh, the uh, National World War II Museum, uh, they held a socially distanced uh, celebration to kind of honor him on his birthday. So I thought that was pretty cool. You know, so it, it's it's you know it's a lot of look at that man that that 111 years of uh, service you know over time I'm sure during his life he's got some great stories and uh, kind of like our guest today might not be 111 years old but I'm sure our guest has some great stories. <laughs> Indeed, and Robert, I could always yeah. count on you, brother, for uh, for the for the facts and the information and. It is, uh, it's, it's overwhelming. I think you, you saw on Friday, uh, on September 11th, I was uh, in uniform at, the, uh, at a uh, September 11th ceremony. I, I've been going every single year, past few years going in uniform. And it's, uh, you know, I was talking with a fire chief and um, he was telling me how, oh my God, next year is going to be 20 years, 20 years. And it's, I yeah. remember exactly where I was. I'm sure you do as well. We'll talk to Victor about it, mm -hmm. um, but just a, it, it is crazy. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into this too much, but, uh, you know, we were talking about how I was actually planning on not, uh, being here next year. I was expecting to be, uh, downrange, um, in, uh, on a deployment and things, things moved around and it, it's, you know, mixed feelings. So that's, that's sort of how my weekend has been, um, just, got hit with, uh, with some news. It, it's good news on, on most fronts, but, uh, certainly, you know, it's just literally, I was in the, I was getting ready to, uh, to pick up my, uh, my rucksack and, and head out. Um, so lots of, lots of strange, strange feelings, strange emotions, but certainly of feelings and emotions of service, which I know we could all relate to. Um, and that's hopefully what every American is feeling, uh, this weekend. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, obviously, we are the best. There's no question about that. Um, yes, indeed. And, and it's, uh, you know, hearing a lot about, you know, remembering where people were on September 11th, but also where people were on September 12th, <clears throat> and the feeling of unity that existed. And, um, and that was something I know to, to many that, that were, that were in uniform at the time, that was what kept them going. That was what yeah. got them, gave the motivation to, uh, to pick up their, you know, their, their rock, pick up their gear, 
uh, head out and, and not knowing how long they'll be gone for, not knowing what they're heading into. Um, but it was that, that idea that the country's behind them. And that's what this podcast is all about. We all serve. Um, everybody plays a role on uh, community service and putting on the uniform or supporting those that serve. There's so much to learn, so, so much to learn. So I'm excited for our conversation today and just excited for the upcoming weeks. I will say this, Robert, before we get to our guest, uh, as I always do, is, um, if you're uh, viewing this on YouTube, make sure you uh, get on your favorite podcast platform and click subscribe. Um, if you're listening uh, to this, I highly recommend get on YouTube, subscribe um, here, and you could watch uh, the library of the past uh, over 12 episodes uh, since we've gotten started and uh, stay uh, alerted to upcoming episodes. Uh, next week, we're going to be joined by uh, my very, very, very dear friend, John Vankowski, a uh, Navy vet. So I guess closer to your end of the spectrum, Robert, a little bit your your your, your brother over there in, in that world. It's, it's, it's good. So I mean, today, I am thrilled because I have another you know, uh, brother in the army joining me. I feel like, you know, it's another, you know, episode of that, but John Dankowski, who, who served in the white house, who served in the Navy, uh, on a submarine, uh, just fascinating, fascinating experiences. So he's going to join us next week. Nice. Nice. And don't get too excited, brother. I know that whenever you hear that our guest is, was in the army, you know, it, it kind of, you know, perks you up, but you know what it means, right? You know what? I, we're together. I, I, yeah. Ain't ready for Marines yet, man. Come on. We got to. <laughs> it's a good start, but you quite ain't there yet. Okay. Well, now, now I feel you're, you're you're bullying me over here, Robert. So I need. I have to. I need I'm to make sure we get Victor on the screen. Can you please introduce him so I have my army brother with me? Absolutely. I will yeah. give you some backup, brother. So listen, guys um, and gals, I often describe our guest today as being one of the most well-known names in the veterans advocate space here in Chicago. Literally, guys, you cannot go into a room full of veterans and not hear Victor's name. Victor Lagrone currently serves as a director of strategic partnerships and alliances for the Division of Health uh, Equity Department of Population Sciences at the City of Hope. He also oversees veteran hiring and retention strategies for the diversity and inclusion team at the City of Hope while working as the advisor of the employee readiness group Veterans for Hope. Victor recently has been selected as a 2020 fellow for Leadership LA. Prior to coming to City of Hope, Victor, where I met him in Chicago here, worked for Mayor Rahm Emanuel as the director of the Mayor's Office of Veterans Affairs. Prior to working for the city of Chicago, Victor worked at the University of Illinois at Chicago for the office of the Chancellor of Health Affairs, where he was responsible for external partnerships, as well as community and legislative relations. Before his time at UIC, Victor coordinated cancer disparity strategies for the Comprehensive Cancer Center at the University of Chicago. Victor credits his diverse experience and impact to his time spent with the 10th Mountain Division of the U.S. Army. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You see, you see he's excited about that, where he was an intelligence analyst until he was medically retired in 2006. He currently speaks nationally about veterans-related topics, including transition and employment strategies. Victor enjoys mentoring and serving as an external advisor to partners, including the Obama administration, and the Elizabeth Dole Foundation. In his personal time, he has roles on the boards of 100 Black Men of LA and the Foothill Workforce Development Board. Without further ado, the man who has left Chicago, but his name is still here. Ladies and gentlemen, we humbly give you Victor Legrone. <laughs> there we go. Victor, such a pleasure to have you. Pleasure. Thanks. Listen. Thanks for being here. First of all, secondly, you know, I, uh, I gotta, I gotta shorten that bio. It's uh, a. <laughs> you know, there's there's nothing you can take out off of that, Victor. Nothing yeah, you did all that, man. It and, sounds like uh, an obituary a little bit, so I want to reach out. I have some good friends that are up at uh, Fort Drum right now, and they're they're keeping things safe. All MPs, um, so Fort okay. Drum, and, and uh, your training was your. Uh, uh, military intel experience was or, or training was that at uh, Fort Huachuca? Yes, sir. Okay, 35 series. Got a lot okay. of good buddies down there. That's it, man. Yeah, it's uh, a long, hot summer. 
You know, it's about, uh, I think we spent 20, 30 weeks training in, in Huachuca and it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a great experience on the things that you don't want to do again, it, you know, so got to scoot down to Yuma, see the, see the Marines a little bit. Oh. Yeah, don't don't get too excited. Never <laughs> <laughs> down here, brother. Nothing but heat. So yeah, it's yeah, been a great yeah. experience, man. It's been a great ride, and I, I appreciate you guys inviting me to come out. Really do. Nah, thank you for coming on. And uh, we had come on, man. You cannot have a podcast of this caliber and not have a Victor Lagrone uh, on. So I, you know, I think you grew up in D.C., right, Victor? Yes. Yeah. So so um. You know, what was it like? What was young Victor like? Let's start there. <laughs> uh, that, so it depends on who you ask, right? Um, okay. You know, it, it was interesting because having a dad who's a Vietnam era vet, um, my oldest brother went in the army back in 79. Um, my cousin who's closest to me was a Gulf War vet. My youngest brother was in the army in the 90s. You know, my grandfather in World War II. Um, DC is that kind of place, right? There's a lot of history in the city, but there's also a lot of history of service. And, you know, so many families are just like mine. You know, when the nation called, you answered, you know, and you worried about the rest later. And uh, for me as a kid, um, you know, the first time I went to Arlington Cemetery was when my brother's best friend was buried there, right? So I knew early what the cost of service looked like. Um, I also understood, you know, going to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, you know, going to the changing of guard ceremony at a very young age, you know, going to the Lincoln Memorial and the reflective pool and so on. It gave me a sense of ownership. Um, and I remember this back even as a Boy Scout, right? And I was a Boy Scout in the old days where you learned how to shoot at the Boy Scouts. You know, you went to your jamboree in the summertime and, you know, you sitting laying out there in the prone shooting a little 22 rifle. And it taught you a sense of accountability for one another, a sense of team camaraderie. And I always say that uh, the Boy Scouts best prepared me for the culture of the military and, and that sense of responsibility, that sense of accountability, um, what it meant to leave nobody behind and no matter what the activity was and which people's skills were. So, you know, my mom did everything she could to keep me busy. I was, you know, in karate and I was in the Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts and so forth. Uh, you know, played a little football, moved to Western New York uh, in high school, actually. So I finished high school up by Buffalo in a city called Rochester, New York, where I uh, ended up putting down some good roots and doing some good work out there as well. And uh, worked there until 9-11. You know, and 9-11 changed everything for all of us. And, and here we are on a 19th anniversary. I couldn't imagine um, us still fighting this fight, right, 19 years ago. If, if someone would have said to you, hey, this is going to be the longest war in American history, um, we thought we were going to pretty much go in, do what we needed to do, and get out and be back by dinner time, right? as the saying goes. And I think for many of us, we recognize at some point in that tenure that this was a long haul, a long-term commitment from our country. Um, the cost continues to be steep and we continue to have um, a need for a broader national discussion around how we support the global war on terrorism and those who've served and fought and paid the cost, how we recognize those, those sacrifices, um, just as we have for Korean War vets and Vietnam vets and so on. Um, I'm really interested in seeing how we can support the Global War on Terrorism Foundation to ensure that we have that place where our family members and our friends and our children at some point can go to and say, you know, this is emblematic of my mom's sacrifice, my dad's sacrifice, my brother and my sister or my parent. And, um, you know, I think our nation kind of needs that amongst other things right now. So, you know, for me, growing up in an environment that um, I kind of saw service as um, when it's your turn to do it, you just go and do it. Right. And, um, you know, that's kind of what I've always loved about Chicago in a very unique way. 
Chicago's another one of those cities that has deep entrenched roots around service, right? From Navy Pier to Soldier Field, you can see the emblematic structure of what the history of that city's service has been like, right? Going back to World War I, when you can see the Doughboys and you can see that in Bronzeville, the people who greet you when you come into that area are World War II vet World War I veterans, right? And to see that, you know, a group of African-American men fought for the opportunity to go abroad and fight again and to ensure that our partners and allies had a taste of freedom that they may not have even experienced coming home, but it was that important as Americans, right? To not leave your ally behind, to not leave them in need. And um, I'm hopeful that veterans like you guys can kind of push our country back into that direction where we're seen as allies again, we're seen as a resource, um, a voice of respect, um, and someone who others can rely on because we need we need that nationally again, right? These are still tumultuous times and, and I'm old, so I'm not gonna put the uniform back on again, but quite frankly, you know, I see, I know guys who kids are soon gonna be able to serve, who are serving still. And that's, um, that's, that's unfortunate in one sense, but it's also amazing as a country that we can see that generational commitment to service, um, because I think we all can agree and acknowledge not everything is for everybody, but um, there's, there's always some type of service you can commit to your country, to your community, to your city. So um, it's been a great experience for me, you know, and veterans advocacy allows me to, you know, since I can't wear the uniform anymore, I can still support our population in different ways, um, you know, and all the different things I get to do and the people I get to interact with, like Robert, I remember meeting you the first time, man. Oh, wow. This guy was just like, you know, let me in the game, you know, and I yeah. always comment about you because you're like, hey, so what do you need me? How can you, how can I help? Where can I apply my, my skills? And that's the stuff that makes you hopeful, right? That spirit of service, that selflessness around, I can do and I should do, right? But, wow. you know, seasoned folks like me have to make room for you guys. And we have to think through that strategically and say, hey, there's some new voices coming out that should be heard and, and should be supported. And I've got to take part in doing it. Victor, folks like us need to uh, need to uh, not just learn, but uh, embody uh, folks, uh, seasoned folks like you. So, uh, <laughs> no, it's it's interesting because I think a lot about this. We were talking for a couple of minutes before um, before we went live and, um, you know, not to critique anybody that follows a different mindset, but, you know, for many that have served, um, they, they view their service, whether it's for four years or for 25 years, and that's one phase. And then they work on their transition. And I know that both of you have been deeply, deeply involved in ensuring that transition takes, takes place smoothly, but they view that as their next chapter. Victor, for you, it seems to me that you it wasn't a next chapter. Everything that you're doing now um, that you have done and no doubt that you will do, it's just a continuation of that, of that story. So what leadership lessons have you have you taken? How did your time uh, beginning at uh, Fort Huachuca um, and, uh, and continuing on at Fort Drum? And, you know, I'd love to hear some of the some of the stories along the way. Um, but how have you taken those lessons and applied right. it in your civilian life? You know, so, you know, for me, I think it all started at basic training at Fort Seal, you know, uh, shout out to the home of the battlefield, the kings of the battlefield. Field artillery is a tough environment to come up in, um, but that's kind of what I wanted. You know, I wanted to be immersed in the ethos of what it takes to be a warfighter, right? And having those folks around you who understand the standard and uphold that standard at a high level. It was tough physically, it was tough mentally and emotionally, but it set the right tone for my career, to be honest with you, right? Um, when people tell you all day, every day, it is not about you or what you want or what you think, right? Understand how valuable the mission is and the people around you who help you 
execute that mission. That's the ethos and the mindset you want to see people bring into the workforce. You want to see people bring into the academic environment. So it really kind of set that tone. And then finally getting the drum, you know, I, I got to Fort Drum at the right time. Um, we were going through the transformation, going to, uh, you know, the BCT model. So we were really thinking through how does a brigade combat team come together, stay together for the life cycle, right, which was three years, and do nothing but train and fight together as a unit. And to see that first stage of the Army converting into that, that, that new method, that new approach, really meant so much for me from a leadership standpoint because, you know, I remember when General Milley actually stood up my brigade, right? So my company used to fall under another brigade, and we were pulled out, started you know, a brigade combat team with, uh, with the Sapper Battalion. And one of the things General Milley always said was, we are a light infantry division. And I don't care what you do here, you're a light fighter first, right? And that just set the bar. So no one cared if you were in the motor pool or comms or the defect, didn't matter, you're a light fighter first. And that sets a way of thinking, a, a level of push that's internal that no matter what the obstacle is, you can push through this, you can achieve this, you can go through it, you can go further, right? And having sappers and having rangers and SF guys on our base to push the standard, to have our light fighters always at the tip of the spear, to be in a light infantry unit that had an air assault school on it, right? So you were gonna repel, you were gonna ruck, you were gonna hump, you were gonna do all the tough work, right? You were gonna get there under your own steam, but most importantly, you showed up as a professional, right? And that level of professionalism, I was able to carry with me into opportunities in academia, then serving on the advisory council for veterans affairs, and then ultimately with the mayor. Um, you know, I if you had said, "Hey, one day you'll be briefing," you know, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs at the Pentagon, I would have laughed. You know, if you'd be talking to the deputy undersecretary or the undersecretary of the Navy, you know, or bringing hosting the Warrior Games in Chicago and all the other slew of other things we were able to get done as a city. Um, it was an honor for me to take that to the East Wing and to the West Wing and talk about what veterans were doing and achieving in Chicago and discuss further how we could replicate that in other cities. Um, and that's the amazing piece about Chicago. When people always ask me, what do you miss the most? I say, it's the village. I miss the village more than I miss anything, right? It was great to um, carry the responsibility and the weight of the mayor's voice and name with you into rooms as you advocate and partner and build <clears throat> accountable and hold others accountable. But it was just also amazing to know that if anyone had an issue serving a veteran, sorry, can you see me still? Oh yeah. All right. I'm sorry, something popped up on my screen. Um, okay. It was vital that someone could send a text an email or a phone call. And we would figure out that moment that day how to support that veteran. And a lot of cities still need that, that network, that rich culture of, it doesn't matter who's got what funding, doesn't matter who works for what organization, what your title is, we'll come together and support a veteran. If someone's family needs something, you know, so many different veterans, Leon and, and Nicole and Eli Williamson and Manuel and, you know, Brandon Marty and so many people were just like, hey, like, what is what does this person need? A bus card, no problem. We can we can take care of that. What is, you know, this person is getting ready to lose their apartment, no problem. We can I know somebody at Feather Fist. And to see Vietnam vets working with post 9-11 vets, to see Gulf War vets working with ROTC cadets, right? And and getting the junior ROTC cadets, which was also one of my favorite parts of my job. You know, Chicago has the largest junior ROTC in the country. The largest in the country. And to see thousands of kids commit themselves to some level of excellence to have one of the highest graduation rates in the, in the city and in the state um, really does speak to the culture, right? Those grandparents, you know, and 
being able to sit with the Montfort Point Marines and the Triple Nickel and just listen to history. You know, going to Pulaski Day and learning about, like, had I not come to Chicago, I would never know who General Pulaski was. Mm. Right? Think through those sorts of things, right? Chicago's that kind of place where the veterans in Chinatown will invite you out for their parade to come walk with them, right? And, you know, opening up um, a homeless shelter in, in Humble Park in the name of the Bonique Winners, right? And just understanding that we're, we are this gumbo, this melting pot of service members, whether they were in Pilsen or whether they were in, you know, South Shore, they would come together to meet each other's needs. That thing, that piece is so difficult to quantify, right? Because people say, well, how do you track it? You know, you track it by pressure testing, right? By saying, hey, you know, so-and-so's car broke down and they're gonna lose their job without transportation. Let's help to figure them out, right? And for people to just come together on every level and say, doesn't matter what the organizations are gonna do, we're gonna get it done. You can't find that everywhere, you know? So I, I'm glad to see guys like Robert and so many other young veterans who are just like, we have that sense of opportunity and ownership to pick up the mantle, right? And he was talking to me about Shalom and I kept saying like, man, I've never heard this name before, which is weird in the veteran space in Chicago, right? In Illinois, typically somebody knows everybody. Um, that's just how it is. So to hear a new name, I was like, okay, that. Now I know there's a new there's a new set of legs in the fight and somebody else is lightening the load. And, um, you know, Keith Franklin and I were talking about this from uh, Warrior Summit Coalition. And he was just like, man, it's just good to see so many new vets. Like, you know, Victor, I, I went into I went into this fight a little bit uh, later. I. Uh, I, uh, I only joined uh, at uh, 29 and uh, went in on the reserve side. And, you know, as, as I always joke around, I'm, I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. So um, I'd say my identity was primarily around other stuff, um, you know, on business and entrepreneurship. And I host another show around that. Um, but for me, it's, uh, you know, all service, service, service. And, you know, coming in, um, you know, there's no way I'm just going to put on the uniform, you know, as they say, a weekend warrior, put it on a, a, a weekend a month, uh, no chance in the world that that would happen. Uh, so for me, it's a, it's a daily fight. It's something I'm involved in and, and I'm just, uh, I'm proud to, proud to be on your team. No, man, I appreciate yeah. it. You know, this is, uh, there's, there's this video of the US track team going around and seeing how each one of these young ladies poured it all on, on, the, on the track field for their leg of the race. That's what it's about, right? This is not a sprint. This is a relay. This is a marathon. It takes over the next 10 years, it's going to take all of us to do a little bit, right, to make it all work. Um, so, you know, welcome, Shalom. And I'm glad to see you out here. You say you came in at 29? Came in at 29. I'm 31 now. And uh, yeah, so I'm an MP. Okay. And, uh, yeah, having, having fun. Uh, so, yeah, good times and uh, very, very, very involved now, of course. Uh, it's funny, you mentioned when you first met Robert. Um, it's funny, I can relate to that because, Robert, you'll, you'll recall that morning um, that I reached out to you and I had seen, again, Robert's name on a bunch of things. And I, I just called him. Hey, Robert, do you, do you recall that conversation? <laughs> I can't forget it, brother. <laughs> just like I can't forget when I met Victor, it was... Uh... I was, I was, uh, man, I was excited because I felt the passion that Victor had. I felt just the same way I felt the passion that you had, Shalom. So I got excited because I'm like, I'm really connecting with someone who gets it. So, yeah, I, I just yeah. reached out, Victor, and I basically said, Hey, you don't know me, but what can I do? What can I yep. do? And then we started several conversations. And then it was on the second conversation, I said, Brother, we 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 got to do we we got to amplify this message. Let's let's do a podcast together. We've we've never met, um, but yeah. let's, let's do this together. And, and I told and I told Victor, I'm like the only thing I did right was I didn't say no. <laughs> there so. you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, no, we're on, yeah. we're on the same page. And uh, no, it's 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 exciting to uh, to hear your story, Victor. And like I said, you know, just that continued 
uh, message and continued service, which which certainly has continued for sure. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Sir. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and I would say too, Victor, um, uh, obviously you are who you are in this space because of your selflessness, but um, because you have the community of service that you were kind of cultivated in uh, family wise and community wise in DC and just over the years, I'm sure, uh, like you said, in your service and then coming to Chicago, man, I think the community um, is better because of you being here. So you miss what you help set up. So I, I just want to give you your flowers, as they say, uh, as when you can hear me talking about it. So yes, but but I also want to say, um, you know, if you were talking to young Robert, like real young Robert, 17 year old Robert, not the guy you met a couple years ago. But okay. and, and I was like, man, Victor, I'm, you know, I'm from Chicago, I'm from the south side. I, I don't know if I'm going to college, but this recruiter keeps coming up to me talking about the military. What advice would you give to young 17-year-old Robert considering military service? Well, you know, the first thing I tell you is whatever you do, do it 100%, right? Like your passion can, you can only be the only driver of your passion and your outcomes. And, you know, it's funny because I had this conversation with my, my cousin's daughter. Um, she was like, you know, I want to, Go in the Air Force. I don't want to go straight to college. I said, nope, you're going to go in ROTC. And I explained to her why. And I explained to her, I said, listen, you know, everyone before you did it the hard way. Someone's got to do it the smart way. <laughs> right? right. And, and the reality of it is that for many of us, you know, it's going to be one or two contracts. And then you go back into the civilian world and you do something else go to school, get a home, build a family, whatever. Um, so in, when you're young, you don't think about what's next, the next two or three iterations of your life. So whenever people always say, hey, can you talk to my son? Or you talk to my little brother? If I were talking to a younger Robert, I would ask you, what do you want? What do you want the military to prepare you for later? Because it makes a difference, right? Um, right. And I don't think... Being young and being guys, we don't usually think about that. We just think about that momentary, I'm going to go do the toughest thing I can do, prove something to myself or prove something to others or whatever. And you get into it, you start realizing, like, I can't do this as a civilian when I get out, right? There's only so many Bravo jobs out there, just like, right? So you start thinking through, um, you know, this is why we have so many people in support battalions, because all of those other skill sets, soft skills, as we call them often, have to be developed, but they're also transferable. So I would encourage you to think about what you're going to do for the military, what you expect the military to do for you, prepare you, make you more mature, make you a better person in what ways. Just, just to think a little bit more, right? Um, because on the front end of it, it's always doing. We get distracted with doing, right? Got to go to schools. Got to get in shape, got to stay in shape. Like you spend most of your time working out, doing something physical, doing something reading, going through TMs, getting in trouble, yada, yada. You know, especially in the Corps, because the Corps treats you like you're an infantryman all the time, no matter what your job is. And then one day you're done and you have to kind of put it back together and say, man, all right, what do I do with this stuff that I acquired? A military is also a great place to invest in yourself, right? So you invest in your service on one hand, but you're also investing in yourself, right? And I was really good. I had good NCOs that said, hey, you need to go to these schools, right? It was because I was like bored and had nothing else to do, but they were like, the more skills you put in your bag, when it's time to do something else, those skills you can leverage later on. And I just had really good value in that, right? And I always share that with young service members or people who want to serve, um, you know, and, and I would also ask you why the military, right? Because, you know, you could serve as a teacher. You could be, there's a lot of stuff you can do, right? Mm -hmm. Peace Corps, whatever. Because I like for people to tell me why they want to be a part, how they're going to contribute to our community, right? And so I, I like, for, and sometimes young guys and girls don't know exactly why. They just have that calling. 
And that's good too, right? To just say, I, I have a calling, something in me that says I, I need to serve. I love that also because you're going to need that to get you through those tough times. You know, those sitting on the flight line waiting for a flight that never comes only for them to tell you to stand down and go back to garrison and, and store your gear. You know, we've all done that hurry up and wait stuff and it can eat at your sanity. And it's those moments you're like, man, I never should have X, Y, and Z. Right? Right. Well, there's a lot of learning in the process. There's all the great learning happens in failure, right? So being able to go out and figure out what your limits are as a person and then how to push those limits, how to go from good to great, how to go from great to phenomenal at what you do, how, how to embrace standards. Um, because unfortunately, like, you know, schools don't traditionally teach some of that stuff. Society is not pushing that. So we do need that encouragement for young people. Um, you know, so so my, my feedback to young Robert would be know why you're doing what you're doing. Have a great time doing it. You know, before you know it, it's going to be over. And never do something that when you look back on it, you wish you had done it correctly or better or harder. Right. I went at it as hard as I could until my body said, guess what? No more of this. Right. And then I had to do something else. All right. So I, you know, I walked away. You would have also said join the army, not the, not the Corps, right? I mean, you know, obviously if he, I don't know what his ass fab score was. I don't want to get into that. I, you know, I, was, I don't know. I don't think it's very him in any way. <laughs> I don't know how many waivers they gave him. You know what I mean? I, I, you know, we got a support group for that too. You know, so, but, you know, sometimes young people need to hear like, you actually might be a better candidate. You, you probably make a better sailor than a Marine, right? And that's not a knock on you. It's that other people understand your personality better than you do sometimes and your right. capacity. Right. That's not that Marine Corps life is not an easy life. Right. And I go down and I talk about transition to um, the Marines down in San Diego and they are young and tough and ready to get at it until they're not. And then when it's time to go, it's time to go. And the one thing I always worry about with Marines, you know, is everything in the core is about the core in that moment. And when it's time to do something else, time to pivot, they don't know what that looks like because no one really right. talks to you about what's next. Everything's about readiness with the command. So right. being able to engage our service members early before they separate gives them a leg up. And I often think about that, you know, cause most folks kind of have some downtime to think about that, man, when you, you know, they call them Hollywood Marines out here, but when, when they are out here, man, it is, it's tough times. It's hot. <laughs> you know, these dudes, it's a big base, you know? Yeah. So when you go down and you just realize like this, you know, I'm an army guy, so I'm always going to be faithful to what I believe in, but that ain't no, just no cakewalk down there. You know, everybody's not made for that. So um, sometimes it's, you know, people say, oh man, I want to do 20 years. And a lot of people do. Yeah. Until, you know, I I joined the day before I turned 35. So, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not the brightest guy every time. You know, <laughs> I've made some decisions that my body isn't proud of. But um, I knew that it was now or never. And um, I couldn't come up with a reason why not to serve when I knew I needed to. So I did for you. Uh, wow. Victor, I, I have to I have to pick on, on that piece. <clears throat> Second, that's that's fascinating. I that is. Um, when I went in at at 29, I was prepared to be the old guy. I went through basic training at uh, at Fort Benning, and you know all the infantry HUA guys, and and you know I was actually prepared um, to basically be smoked out and and basically just like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to handle this. But the truth is. It actually was so much easier than I ever imagined in terms of basic training. My brain was on vacation. Um, you know, it was pretty much for the first time in, in a long while, I did not have to be re responsive to people. I would get my, uh, I had a ton of people. I had, 
you know, the governor sending me letters and basic training and things like that, that I would open my letter and respond and whatever. But pretty much once I was done with that period of the day, you know, no other real interaction, no brain power put into it. It was just do, do the job. And physically, I found it was honestly, it was so easy. There's so many kids that are in basic training right now that were, you know, 10 plus years younger than me. And they, I don't know if they sit and they play video games all the time, but man, they, they just, they're, uh, they, they, I think the lesson that they need to learn is just call it resilience and, and, uh, perseverance. Um, and it's, it's fascinating. And then I'd say over time, you know, OCS, um, so I commissioned as a, as I mentioned, an MP officer. So in OCS, it was certainly, a, a you know, started to tease my brain a little bit more. Um, but it was, it was not, honestly, it was not as, as challenging as I thought, uh, coming in as the old guy. There were definitely moments that I was called the dad, but that's okay. <laughs> be to, to, to the young things out there. Yeah. You know, it's so, you know, I think there's several factors. One, um, there's doctrine in 2020 that they use in basic training that they didn't use in 2003 and 2004. Right. We were also in the surge right? When I was in basic training. So the military was essentially saying, if you've got a pulse, you can do this, you know, and you can probably rub your head and your stomach at the same time. We're going to give you a shot. Right. And we put a lot of pressure on drill sergeants to go out here and to hammer whatever this product is you're getting from that family into something that can go out and move the will of the American people. Now, fitness is a huge issue in our country, a huge issue. It's a, it's a national security issue. It's a readiness issue. We ju we're just not, our leaders aren't talking about it enough. Food, nutrition, and activity. The kids don't go to gym like they used to. They also don't play outside like they used to. But you couldn't keep me in the house. The, the worst thing you could do to me was make me stay in the house. And I have to let other people play through the window. It was the saddest times of my entire existence. Now. Today's kids, they've got, you know, phones and they're occupied with being stationary. And that is not a life conducive to going out here, running through obstacle courses, getting yelled at, sleep deprivation. You know, they get to take their phones to basic and all, you know, you can only smoke them so much and all that good stuff. So, you know, it's you have to build character in other ways. And. Um, you know, society today is a very inward looking um, culture and that's not something conducive to the military way. So you see a lot of younger people struggling in that regard, not necessarily the physicality is always going to be tough. You know, and I, I was in good shape. I you know, played flag football and softball and all those great things, and, you know, certainly about 30 pounds lighter than I am today. But. You know, I think for me, it was just the rigors of being at Fort Billing, being in Oklahoma in January, February, March. Right. So I didn't know it got that cold. First time I got frostbite was in Oklahoma. I didn't get wow. frostbite at the 10th Mountain Division. I got it in Oklahoma. Right. But it's and nobody cared. <laughs> you know, it was it was that. No, you're not dead yet, Army. So get it, get it moving. We'll figure out the rest later. The variance in weather, those late night freezing yeah. nights and those those midday boiling hot sun. Oh, my God. You don't know how to plan or prepare. And I remember those days out, out at the range and like you'd go out there when when it's still dark outside and you're you, you literally I mean, I think I probably went over a month without feeling any of my extremities, not not like having any sensation in my in my toes or fingers. And then literally being sunburned at the same time. Right. Like, really? I mean, you know, it's the only place I've ever been where there's snow and frost on the grass at six in the morning. So you're out there rolling around and running and jumping and sweating and everything. You go in, put on a polypros because it's freezing out. By noon, you're burning up. So now you got to change again somehow. You know, and then it's like, it's like, what's the uniform of the day? It's all these things. You know, it's everything. And but again, right, so what does all of that teach you? Preparation. It teaches you tenacity. It teaches you wherewithal. You know, it teaches you some toughness. Um, you know, it teaches you discomfort. And discomfort is important because 
people need to understand that discomfort is a part of life, right? Life is not about comfort. Life is about discomfort. Learning is about discomfort. Understanding the people you train with is about discomfort, right? Understanding new cultures. You know, I'd never, I'd met guys that had never actually physically touched someone black before, right? And to have conversations with people who only understood your culture from TV was important for their growth and mine, right? Because it also helped me understand, you know, that what you see in rural Alabama or Arkansas is different than what you see in Chicago and St. Louis and so on, right? And it teaches you about the mosaic of our country. So, you know, having battle buddies who are Native American and who are Haitian and who are, you know, Mexican and Puerto Rican and Dominican, and you have this mix, you know, and you got a couple of hillbillies and you got some city guys and you got everything you need in one place um, to make to make tough times happen. But some of the best laughter I've ever had, you know, was my time in basic and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, I mean, you know, there's some nicks and cuts I, I would trade out of that uh, out of that time in Oklahoma. But, you know, it's really even today when we were uh, at work, people always say, well, you know, you just don't seem frazzled. I said, well, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. Right. It gives like the military gives you perspective that other people's don't have. So you have to almost help them understand, like, listen, we can problem solve through this like everything else we do. None of this is the end of the world, right? There's no one shooting. There's nothing blowing up. No one's on fire. You know, I can see if you're like, hey, you were yelling, I'm black on ammo. Then we got other concerns. But in this environment, we can figure this out, right? If we put our minds to it, we listen to each other's contributions and we come up with a good plan and a good strategy. And this is why I'm always such a huge advocate for veterans and leadership because we understand how to demonstrate not only getting things done, but bringing everyone with us, right? Listening to those people who, some of the best ideas you'll have you'll, will come from a PFC, right? Not some lieutenant, because the lieutenant's trying to also stay alive like everybody else. That's right. So you're hopeful that there's a staff sergeant somewhere that can marry up with that lieutenant to keep things balanced and learning, right? Meanwhile, PFC Jones is like, hey, hey, sir, you know what we could do? This would be easier, safer, faster, better. And you're like, you know what, Roger, let's do that. That's this environment, as opposed to someone saying to you, I'm the executive director, you're a coordinator, I'll tell you what to think, right? So you've already crippled your team just with that mindset. And helping people understand that better, they, they better evaluate and better equate what Robert can bring, what Shalom can bring. Those people are helping them understand like, you need all these contributions, right? The more diversity you have, the better solutions you can come up with, the more effective you can be as an organization, right? Indeed. All right, that's spot on, Victor, as always. And um, one of the things that interests me now, you know, we we miss you in Chicago, brother. I you know I, t- I I was telling Shalom I was telling Victor that uh, I was at an event and you know I, I I was meeting someone for the first time and they were like oh you you know Victor I'm like I'm like Victor Legrone they're like yeah Victor Legrone I'm like oh okay and they're like oh you cool with me then so he was a JLL by the way okay Victor so I think you know I'm talking about George yep yeah so. But um, what I want to say, man, is now that um, you 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 transitioned to your new role as City of Hope. Uh, I say new; it's been a f- uh, a few years, but um, you're at City of Hope now in in LA, um, and I know that um, I, I still see you, man, moving and shaking and being a leader as you were here in Chicago. So I, my question would be for you currently. You know, I know you're so passionate about transition employment strategies for veterans and and all that what does a perfect world look like for veterans in let's say 10 years from now wow um when we have equal opportunity and equal access and equal value Mm -hmm. right 
Um, I'm not a huge advocate of, you know, we need special circumstances, right? We just need the opportunity. We need the access. We need, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a huge gap between when you come out, what you think you know, and what you need to know. And the process of acquiring that knowledge for us can be a challenge because we're used to certain systems where we know how to navigate those systems to gain access to information. We come out to another set of systems with individual set of rules that we're trying to figure out, how do I get into this school? How do I purchase this home? How do I get access to behavior health that I need today? You know, how do I get gainfully employed and not underemployed, right? And as you're fighting through all these other issues and learning in all these different places, you can get overwhelmed and it's not the optimal learning experience, right? So the new norm, the ideal situation for me would be where someone said, okay, this person is a service member. If they're applying here, I wanna make sure they have this information. I wanna make sure they fully understand what the role is, but also I wanna make sure we can fully evaluate their experience, what they bring to the table, and at least give them an opportunity to tell their story and sell themselves. If we do that, I think that you will see where veterans serve escalate and elevate. You'll see more of us in the legislative environment. You'll see more of us influencing public policy, leading in organizations, because we've got the leadership skills. That's not the question. Will people make room for us? Will people value our service the way that they should? Um, and I think it happens in some places sometimes. Um, you know, but I, I had a partner out here in LA and I said, listen, there's a huge difference between hiring veterans and giving veterans opportunities, right? If, if you're running a bank and I come into your bank and they're all cashiers and security at the bank and processing claims, and right? And they're not assistant manager program for them. They're not, they're not, they're not being transitioned to leadership, understanding and opportunity right, getting that cultural awareness and finance, the stuff that helps you ex excel, then you're not really doing the thing, right? You're, you're checking a box, you're doing the feel good stuff, but you're not doing the long sustainable work because if I hire Shalom to run a division in my workplace, I know that at every level, he's gonna have expectations of those leaders and he's gonna communicate that to those leaders. So who better to communicate that to that other people who understand that cultural nuance, right? So when you have veterans in places, veterans are more likely to know and hire other good veterans. And that's really how we build a bench. That's how we sustain um, gainful employment. That's how we stabilize our community where they need it the most. Wow. Wow, great answer. Victor, um, Robert has told me so much about your work here in the city of Chicago, and I'm I'm just upset that I wasn't uh, in in the fight yet uh, while you were while you were here. Although there's no doubt that we are going to meet uh, for sure. But um, what can you tell us briefly? You've talked a lot about your love for Chicago. You've talked a lot about you know that culture of service that you certainly have seen in Chicago, which is directly in line with our mission of uh, of this podcast. Um, but what what can you tell us, you know, briefly from your from your experience um, working in city government in Chicago, as well as you know what you're doing right now at, at City of Hope? Um, just just any any experiences, any highlights, and perhaps any shout outs that you want to make um, right. using mentors along the way. Man, so you know, I would start with um, recognizing Mayor Emanuel because when it wasn't popular, he accepted the president's challenge to ending veterans homelessness. He was serious about the initiative. He leveraged over a million dollars of the city's money to match what the federal government was giving us. His expectations are very clear. I want less veterans going into homelessness and I want less homeless veterans, period. And for me, part of why I was able to be so successful is that he did not circumvent the things that I thought were important about veterans. So it gave me the opportunity to write policy for our city, to protect and preserve our veterans' rights, to influence policy so that veterans who had businesses would have a bidding preference, so that they would have a hiring preference with law enforcement and the, and the fire chief 
right? All of that's because you have leadership and administration that wants to see that elevate. Um, I'm challenged with where the current administration is because I, I feel like um, for some politicians, veterans are afterthought after they get in office and they feel like, hey, I've got the vote. We'll get back to them when I get back to them. We'll see them on Veterans Day, no Memorial Day, and then everything's good, right? As if those are the only two days we have any relevance. Um, you know, today here in LA, you know, I serve in Mayor Garcetti's uh, Suicide Prevention Task Force. And, you know, shout out to him for so many initiatives he's pushed out in a city like LA that has so many veterans. You know, the state of California has 1.9 million veterans. That's more veterans in this state than some states have people, right? And understanding how huge that, that challenge is to serve that population has not made him push back as a service member, right? So um, I'm hopeful and I'm thankful that there are people in places in Chicago to move the mission forward, even when we're not able to rely on our, legis our legislators and our leaders. Because you know, leadership is more than just title. It's action, right? It's attitude. Um, I feel optimistic that we have a lot of veterans doing what you guys are doing, pushing our voice out, amplifying the message, helping people understand why this community is so vital to our nation. And that's going to be impactful over the long term. You guys are going to continue to lead no matter where you go and what you do. And I'm faithful that you'll continue to make space for other veterans' voices. Um, you know, our female veteran population, our LBGTQ veterans, um, our minority veterans, those veterans who have served in honor of earning their citizenship, that, you know, some of those guys love this country more than anybody I've ever met. And, you know, that's just an actual fact, right? One of my best friends, my battle buddy from Haiti, you know, this guy just talked his love for this country. He and his brother just really inspired me. And we ended up losing this brother in Iraq, but it, it taught me to just enjoy every single day of what we have. So um, I'm optimistic, um, you know, and, and I'm appreciative that some administrations around the country are really taking hold of how they can better serve their veterans. But we, we still have a lot of work to do, right? We still got to get the state of Illinois to um, listen better to the voice of the veteran and understand how to support what veterans need on the ground level, but also listen to those leaders in those organizations that are saying, hey, like we, we gotta do something to help veterans with home, home ownership. We gotta stabilize these folks that are unstably housed. We gotta do better with partnering with veteran drug court, right? There's a number of other things that we're still making gains on that we gotta double down on. So um, I'm hopeful. And I'm optimistic because of you guys and people like you, but uh, we still got some work to do. Wow, absolutely, Victor. And, uh, you know, um, can't thank you enough, man, for uh, continuing to push the ball and, and move the needle and uh, inspire. I think, you know, enough can't be said for our leaders who can truly inspire the ones that come behind them and, um, that's, that's going to be part of your legacy. I believe, you know, that you have inspired the next movement, you know, and continue to, um, but you know, with all of your success, uh, now with city of hope, uh, you, you know, Chicago, the, the, the imprint you left here and, you know, in your military service back home in DC, I got to ask you, man, like you, you've done a lot of great things, you know, I, it's kind of hard to say but what would be next for, your, for Victor? Um, man, what would be next? Um, that's, that's a hard question to answer right now. Um, you know, there's, there's some opportunities in DC, obviously for me. Um, there's some stuff people are talking to me about. Um, for the right opportunity, I'd come back to Chicago because I've just got such a love for the city and, and for the community. Um, and that network really does allow doing that work to be easier. But, um, you know, right now, man, I, I can't say what's next. You know, my biggest goal was to come through this COVID year with some additional skills, um, better perspective, 
having a better understanding of what the landscape looks like, where I can be most influential and most supportive and most helpful. Uh, so I'm, I, I wanted to take time this year to learn. Uh, Leadership LA has really been a great program for me just because as a leader, it's always good to listen to other leaders, to learn best practices, to understand how we need to morph and change to meet this, po this post-COVID environment. You know, and um, I was fortunate, I was at the, the McChrystal Group's headquarters in Virginia, listening to General McChrystal and he was saying, you know, this is a pivotal time for our veterans because no one understands change better than the population who every single day works within change. The day you start with and the day you end with in the military is never the same. Right. But we always push through. We always achieve. That punch list gets done no matter what. And, you know, he's right. We've got all these great leaders that we need to figure out the right ways to leverage that talent to take our country forward, um, because I think people are ready for that. So I, I don't know what's next for me, man. I, I wish I had a solid answer for you. I'm not trying to be evasive, but. Um, right now I can say it's either going to be in LA, Chicago, or DC. Is that fair enough? No, that's exciting, man. Right. I mean, exciting for us if we get to, you know, rub shoulders again in, oh, in Chicago okay. and then, you know, just, uh, for the veteran population and, uh, the, the United States of America, I think, you know, having a Victor Legrone influence us, uh, moving forward is important. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I thank you, man, because it's uh, one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of is I get to see so many veterans that I consider to be better than me. Right. Mm -hmm. Guys like you, like George, Klaus, like Emmanuel Johnson, just like Brandon, Marty, guys that I consider like if you're in your 30s, you're much younger than me. Right. <laughs> so I always look at you guys like this. The next 20 years is gonna have all of these leaders who are just tooled and ready to provide some leadership, right? In times in which we need it the most. And you know, Shalom, you too, because at some point, dude, you're gonna realize like, now that you're doing this work in the space, different people are just gonna start pulling on you. Hey, can you come to this? Hey, can you speak at that? Hey, can you do this thing? Hey, can you talk to my buddy? Hey, my son has a question and that's when you start realizing two things, right? The volume of the need for, for workers, but also how many skills you actually have in you. Like sometimes you don't understand the inventory that you have inside, how many people you talk to, how much information you have. And it's that sharing of information that helps our veterans not struggle. So, you know, I'm, I'm really optimistic, man. And, and a lot of people aren't in our country right now. Right. And I was talking to one of my buddies in, in Australia who heads their Student Veterans Association. He was just like, man, like we look to America to lead us through tough times. And it looks like we have to lead you guys through tough times. And that's hard to hear. Right. Because people do need us. And they need our voices and they need this platform. So. Uh, you know, hopefully, Robert, man, you, you know, I would I would love to come back to Chicago and rub shoulders with you and, and push you out there like, yep, Robert knows. Do you should call. <laughs> I got the guy for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I met Victor. I don't know if you remember this, but we actually we, we were in the same. Uh, we met on the same day that I met Senator Dick Durbin. Ah. So 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 like physically you and I met for the first time. I knew okay. of you. but. But yeah, on that same day at a symposium it was it was one it was it was an exciting day for me all the way around, and so it would be a pleasure, man, um, to to have your leadership back here in uh you know in the in the windy city. So yes, sir. Durbin is another great one, man. Every time I see him, you know, he's hey, how are our veterans doing? You know, what do they need? What are we not getting? What are we not seeing? You know, just being able to talk to someone about burn pit registry and all these other things that are concerns of ours. You know, that's our Asian orange for our generation. And if we're not careful, we're going to be fighting that same fight 20 years from now. So, um, yeah, man, it has been a while since we first met, hasn't it? It has, man. That's what, like three, four, almost four, three years ago, for sure. 
Yeah, like three, I'd say almost four years ago. You know, yeah. You, yeah. you were young. Like, just, what do you I need? Like <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, man, I got it. I was like, right, oh, right. Hey, oh, man. Nah, nah, I no. Always, always admire your service, man. So, uh, just uh, hats off. And once again, man, thank you for sharing with our audience. Uh, whether it was if they're listening or um, if they're looking at us right now, you, I'm yeah. gonna tell our audience you're you're looking at someone who and, and Victor who uh, continues to aspire, uh, you know, service and, and veterans in particular. Um, no matter where he's at, not just here in Chicago or in L.A. or in D.C., uh, but um, just um, a standard that he set. So thank you, Victor, for everything you've done. Thank you for everything you're endeavoring. And we're excited to see what you do next. That's that's good. That's great, man. Me too, man. I'm, I'm excited to see what I do next as well. Hopefully, you know, I'll take it easy on myself. Um, but, yeah, I'm you know, I'm excited about. Um, you know, I got the chance to look at some of your catalog of other interviews. Yeah. And I'm really impressed with what you guys are doing, man. Like, I would have, first of all, I don't I don't know how you have how you make time for something like this, but at the same time, you guys are actually like a really good one and two, like Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder kind of combination. <laughs> You're so oh. but you also complement the discussion so well together that you know I'm glad to see. You know that you've got this thing going on and keep it going man just keep keep pushing the voice you know and keep being advocates like you are so i, I appreciate you guys so much for doing this thank you thank, thank you, you. you victor such a pleasure and uh yeah I'll, I'll echo robert i can't wait to, to have you back in chicago you haven't committed to coming back to chicago no, keep him in line man don't, yeah. Yeah. No, don't let the Marine Corps stuff get you <laughs> um, I, I have a. Late, I got him, man. <laughs> I forgot, Robert, when we saw each other when uh, at the uh, interview with uh, Secretary of State White. I did have a pack of Crayola uh, in my car, and I forgot to pull it out. My bad. Well, you know, you probably saw me, and you went. You were on your way in, and you saw me coming in, and then you took a U-turn and went back to the car. <laughs> <laughs> Good time. Good time. Good times, brother. Good stuff. Well, all right. Well, thank you. Going to Victor, by the way. Yes, sir, man. Listen, thanks for having me, man. Look forward to coming and meeting with you guys again. Absolutely. Yeah. No, we'll have you back on and can't wait to continue to follow and, and do good stuff. Um, so thank you for joining us. And, um, you know, definitely for all of our viewers, listeners, make sure you subscribe because, um, you know, Robert and I talk about this all the time. Um, you know, there's something to learn from everybody. And so, so much that we've learned today from Victor Lagrun. And, you know, in our upcoming conversations, there's uh, there's so many great lessons um, learned. And by the way, Robert, I'm going to give you a shout out. On uh, Friday night, you uh, did an awesome interview on Alatra TV, uh, oh. talking about your service. So uh, to all of our viewers um, and listeners, make sure you look out for that great conversation. Good job, brother. Thank you, brother. And, and Victor, I at the end of that interview, they asked me uh, who who sh who do I think they should talk to next, and I, I dropped your name, brother. So, uh, <laughs> so you you're probably going to be getting an invitation real soon. Okay, uh, uh, keep your eyes open for that, man. Yes, sir. The, the gift that keeps giving. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, well, thank you all. We all serve, and uh, we all serve will continue next week. But you know, Victor, Robert, we all serve, my brothers. Thank you. We all serve. Be good. You. Stay safe.